Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to be picking up pretty much right where we left off. We actually left off right in the middle of a verse, right in the middle of verse 8. So Genesis 25, verse 8. We're actually, and maybe we should back up a little bit, at least to the beginning of the verse. And uh, would somebody mind reading verse 8 to get us started? Abraham breathed his last and died a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to people. Excellent. Thank you, Ron. So here we have a fulfillment. We looked at this last time. A fulfillment of the promise that was given to him over in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, God told him, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And we're seeing the fulfillment of that. He dies at a good old age. Um, some of the other stuff that we see there also, though, in that verse is that we see in verse 8 that he breathed his last. I want to draw your emphasis or draw your attention to a few of these <laughs> phrases here. This one being the first one, breathed his last. What's the next phrase or what's the next thing that has to do with that immediately after that? Pretty and much. died. And died, all right? So he breathed his last. He died. And then if you look further down, you'll see that it says, some of your versions will say gathered to his people. Or to his ancestors or to his kin, I think some of them will say. Gathered to his ancestors. Look at that. And then, finally, if you look at verse 9, you'll see that it says that, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. All right, so that's the fourth one I want to draw your attention to. All right, so breathed his last, died, gathered to his ancestors, buried. Breathed his last, and then he died. And then he was gathered to his ancestors, and that he was buried. That gathered to his ancestors, this one right here, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's six people of whom it is said, gathered to his ancestors, or gathered to his kin, or gather, you know, whatever version you have, it's going to be pretty consistent. The phrase that's used here is going to be the phrase that's used in speaking of those six. All right, So six people where this phrase is used to describe something in this four part process, if you will, all right? So this gathered to his kin or gathered to his ancestors, what does it mean? That's kind of the quote, one of the questions that you would stumble across when you're reading through the commentaries about this verse. The interesting thing, though, is if you look at the six people of whom this is said, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then uh, you've also got in here Ishmael, and then it also says the same thing of Moses and Aaron, all right, Aaron dying before Moses. Those are the six that you have in the Pentateuch. So of these six that you look at, what does gather to his ancestors? One of the suggestions is, well, that probably means, you know, they, you put them in a cave, and that's the cave that's like the family cave. It's the cave where, you know, the father and the father's father and the father's father's father was buried. But that's not the case here with Abraham. Abraham's put in a cave. There's one other person in that cave. Anybody remember who that other person is? Sarah. Sarah's already there. It's that cave that was purchased earlier on when we were going through the material. And it's the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim. And uh, that's where Sarah's buried. So the only other person in that cave is Sarah. All right? 
So Abraham, he's not buried in a cave where his dad's buried. He's not buried in a cave where his grandfather's buried. He's not buried in a cave where his ancestors are buried. All right? Isaac, he gets buried in the same cave that Abraham and Sarah are in. Okay? And Jacob, he also gets buried in the same cave that Abraham and Sarah are in. So I guess gathered to his ancestors of those two. Okay, they've got ancestors in the burial place. All right? But it's not really the case for Abraham. It's not the case for Ishmael. It's not the case for Moses. And it's not the case for Aaron. Four out of the six are not buried in patriarchal caves. They're not buried in tombs where their great-grandfather's buried. All right? So gathered to his ancestors or gathered to his kid must mean something different. Some of your commentators, they'll point out this. They'll say, if you look at this process in chronological order, if you consider it in a chronological way, that you breathe your last before you die. You breathe your last before you die, and you die before you're gathered to to your kin. And if it's viewed chronologically, you're gathered to your kin before you're buried. We could have in this verse a glimpse of one of the first teachings that suggests there's an afterlife. And that we go to participate or we go to join in that afterlife before we're even buried. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So here we have an interesting verse that seems to suggest that that could be the case. And this is in as early a document as Genesis. Genesis chapter 25. We see that here in verse 8. Verse 9. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Isaac and Ishmael. Think back. Isaac and Ishmael. What was kind of the last we heard about Ishmael? He was sent away, right? Sarah's not too happy with the way this is working out. You know, now that Isaac's been born and mom of Isaac is pretty upset with the way that Ishmael's treating his 13-year younger brother. So here you go. Here's a small bit of provisions and sending you away. And he was sent away. But here he comes back with Isaac and they're together for the burial, at least, of their father of Abraham here. Buried in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre. That's that same cave we looked at, we found in chapter 23, where Sarah was buried. In the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, in verse 10, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, and there Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. Okay, And with that, the text is done with Abraham. That's kind of strange, right? I mean, that's the end of his life right here. And I suppose I could say, all right, let's move on. But I just can't do that. (laughs) I just don't feel comfortable doing that because this is such a big dude, right? This is a pillar of our text that we're going through the book of Genesis. This is a big guy. There's a lot having to do with him. In fact, if you look at it from the New Testament perspective, the New Testament perspective is Abraham is mentioned more often than any other figure from that Older Testament than, than, than anybody else except for Moses. Moses is the only one that gets more mentioned than Abraham in the New Testament references, looking back. All right? So he's a significant character as we would look back. Some of the things that it says about him, well, I'll draw from Older Testament passages here. Joshua 24.3 mentions that Abraham, he was a monotheist among polytheists. What's a monotheist? One God, one God, exactly. Believe in the one true God among polytheism. What's polytheism? Many, believing in many gods. So you find one of the significant things about him is that he is a believer in the one true God in a society that believes there's lots of ways to God. There's lots of different paths. All right, There's lots of different ways you can go. All roads lead to heaven. You ever heard that kind of phrase? Yeah, that's something that even we're familiar with in this day and age, thousands of years later. All right. So he lived as a monotheist. He lived in a one true faith all right, among all these other options, all these other inferior alternatives. 
Nehemiah 9, 7 says uh, of Abraham, he was chosen. Isaiah 29, 22 says he was redeemed. And Micah 7, 20 says he was blessed. Chosen, redeemed, and blessed. We know of Abraham from the story that we've been reading so far. He's the father of Isaac. We find out that he's, eventually we're going to see he's the grandfather of Jacob. Jacob ends up being renamed Israel. So he's the great-grandfather of the 12 sons of Israel. He ends up becoming the great-grandfather of what the 12 sons become, the 12 tribes of Israel. You can even say he's the founding father of the people of Israel. All right, He's uh, an ancestor to Moses and Aaron. He is the founding father of the Levitical priesthood. And if you think that's kind of obscure, you find that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5. He's the ancestor of Israel's first king, Saul. He's the ancestor of Israel's greatest king, David. He's the ancestor of Israel's uh, wisest king, Solomon. In fact, he's the ancestor to all of Israel's kings. He's the ancestor to all of Israel's prophets. He's the ancestor to all of Israel's priests. He's the ancestor of all ethnic Jews. You could say he's the founding father of all ethnic Jews. Some see in him as the first proselyte. What's a proselyte? It's kind of a strange word we don't use very often. Not, a, not somebody who teaches. It's somebody who converts. Somebody who converts, and in this, in this context, it would be converting to following God. You read about other people that are godly, as we were looking especially at the godly line of Seth, and you look at Noah, but they didn't convert. All right. You remember Abraham's story. God called him right out of his old place, out of that old way of living into a new place, into a new relationship with God. So in that conversion, you have the first proselyte. You also have the first missionary. All right. Some would say, oh, he was kind of serves as the first missionary model. He was called from here to go here. He was called to take this, you know, new way of living with for God and take it with you over here and be that example over here. All right, so he's kind of like the first proselyte. He's kind of like the first missionary. He's called a prophet. He's described as an intercessor. What's an intercessor? Prayer. Somebody that prays on behalf of others. So he, you remember some of those stories? He was praying for Abimelech. A strange situation, if you remember that one. The story started with deceit. But it ends up he's praying for this king, all right, at the king's request. Hey, you, you know, you man of God, we pray for me. <laughs> so he ends up being an intercessor, serving as an intercessor over there. And then he's even called a friend of God in several places, both in the Newer and the Older Testaments, alike, called the friend of God. To Abraham was given the covenant. To Abraham was given the promises. To Abraham was given the sign of circumcision. To Abraham was given the theophanies. What's a theophany? bodily representation of God. Exactly right. A bodily representation of God. If you remember that was, uh, in chapter 15, you had the, the cauldron, right? That was passing between the sacrifices that were cut and have this torch and that cauldron passing through you. And we go, well, that's weird. That's an appearance of God. Yeah, it actually is. But you also have another one that's a little more readily recognized where the three visitors come and it's in the heat of the day and he invites them over to participate in a meal. And it's right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you realize in that conversation that, oh, one of them is the Lord, <laughs> right? That's a theophany. Uh, so uh, to Abraham was given theophanies. To Abraham was given miracles. You remember that time that he, was, he went off to try to rescue Lot, and it was all these kings and all their armies and Abraham <laughs> and his men, <laughs> you know? I'm going to call that a miracle, all right? So... 
to Abraham was given miracles, and then to Abraham was also given divine provision, divine protection, and divine favor. He had all those things as well. But what the New Testament focuses on, when, you're, when the New Testament's looking at Abraham, the thing that it looks at the most of Abraham's life is that he's a man of faith. His reputation, of far and away above everything else, is that he was a man of faith. In fact, turn to Genesis chapter 12, the very first time when God calls to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then what does verse 4 say? So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He obeys. He hears from God and he obeys. He doesn't go, oh, man, I must have eaten something weird last night because I just heard from God. But I can't believe that. No, he believed. He's a man of faith. And it shows up here in his very first place where God interacts with him. Go to Genesis 15. Let's look at another one. In fact, the New Testament would say this one's even more significant, at least by the number of references to this passage right here. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Then he, this is God, then he brought him, this is Abraham, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So this is God making a promise. What do we see in verse 6? And he, this is Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, this is the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. This passage right here, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, shows up in many places as a reference to arguments that are being made as you read through the New Testament. One of those is from Paul in, in Romans chapter 4. Paul uses this passage right here, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Paul uses that as an illustration. It, he uses it as his first illustration in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, of justification of faith. He says, just as Abraham was justified by faith, and he moves that passage, he takes those words right out of there and plugs them in in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and sees, see, just as Abraham. It's about a justification by faith. It's about this reputation that he has as a founding father of faith. Just as Abraham was a founding father of ethnic Jews in a biological sense, if you will, he becomes the founding father in a spiritual sense of all who believe. Remember, we've looked at believe before. We've defined believe before. We've defined it as what? It's living in faith. We've defined believe as trusting and obeying. So what is faith? Are you a person of faith? Are you a person who believes? Do you believe? What is that? It's trusting and obeying. Do you trust God? Do you obey God? Because if you're missing one of those components, then you're missing that compound meaning that's included in there in the idea of faith or belief. So if we're people of faith, we trust and we obey, not just trust and not just obey. It's a combination, trust and obey. What about being a descendant, an actual descendant of Abraham? Is that good enough? Remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, he says to them, don't think that you can call yourselves Abraham's children and that everything's good to go. Right? I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. Don't think that you can describe yourselves or claim to be Abraham's children. He goes, I tell you the truth. God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So he says there's something more that's required than just being genetically related to this guy named Abraham. He's saying there's something more. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 39, this is where Jesus is having a discussion with some of the religious, uh, the specialties in Judaism. 
and they're coming to him and they're they're trying to jab him and they say we are abraham's children remember what the jab was it was like we don't know who your dad is you know (laughs) it's like you're this illegitimate son but we are children of abraham they're trying to jab him and what does he say back to them he says if you were abraham's children you would do the works of abraham what are the works of abraham it's believe it's trust and obey it's being a person of faith Turn to Romans chapter 4, this passage that we've been talking about a little bit. Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Would somebody mind reading this one? And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. What do we see there? Here's a picture of what we see. Paul is making an argument, and Paul is saying, you guys have this tradition. We have this tradition. Paul would associate himself with the group that he's addressing. We have this tradition where going back to Genesis chapter 15, the sign of circumcision, right? And the Jews would be able to say, I'm circumcised. I'm a part of that group. I'm a part of that group, and part of the identity that I have within me and within my life is that I'm circumcised. And Paul says that circumcision, that makes you a part of that group, but that's not the group that God is dealing with most. He says that's a circumcision of the flesh. The circumcision that God is looking for is not a circumcision of the outer flesh. It's a circumcision of the heart. All right. So he's saying that's true. Abraham is the God of all who would be described as ethnic Jews. And you've got that sign of circumcision going for you, but that sign of circumcision is not the end-all, be-all. He's saying it's something more than that. It's something other than that. And what does he say in these verses? It says it has to do with belief. It has to do with righteousness being imputed to them. And then he's not the father only of those who are circumcised, but those who are circumcised and walk in the steps of faith. He's saying, you identify yourselves with Abraham in the form of circumcision, that's not enough. You need to identify yourselves with Abraham in faith. You need to be a participant in this relationship with God, not because you had a surgical operation done to your body, but because you had God do something to your spirit, God do something to your heart. All right, And it's a matter that results in being a person of faith. Okay, turn to another one, though. Here's another one I want to show you to, as you would look at this. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Somebody might reading these. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So in reading those verses, we find something big, right? We haven't touched on it yet in this study today, but we've touched on it before. And the big thing is this, that it's not just about being Jewish, right? Jews can say, Abraham is our father. But what does it say here in verse 7? Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. All right? So it doesn't count just being Jewish. You've got to be Jewish and in faith with God, having a relationship with God that's based on faith. So that does what? It opens it up to Gentiles as well. Just as the model was laid for us in that relationship that the Jews had with God and God had with the Jews, so that serves as a model for a relationship that I, as a non-Jew, as a Gentile, can have 
not because I've related to Abraham by some sort of uh, genetic code or DNA, but because I'm related to Abraham if I'm related to God in faith. If I'm related to God in faith, I can participate in this family relationship that has been modeled through the ages with God with Jews. And now as a Gentile, I can participate in that relationship, not because I'm circumcised in the flesh, but because I am circumcised in heart, because I am a person of faith. I follow in the footsteps of Abraham, the man of faith. So it's opened up the opportunity for what? The nations of the world to be blessed. From the very first point when God interacted with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that was one of the things that was said over there. In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not the nation, the nations. It's through Abraham that all the nations, that includes everybody has that equal opportunity to have a relationship with God that's based on faith, not based on some cutting of the flesh, not based on a genetic code in your DNA. That God wants a relationship with people he's willing to call children of God based on faith. And as you read it there, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You remember how just a few minutes ago I said that Abraham is described as blessed. And so can we. That Abraham was described as redeemed. That's in Isaiah 29, 22. So can we. That Abraham was described as chosen. And so can we. That's from Nehemiah 9, 7. Those are passages out of the Older Testament, not the Newer Testament. The Newer Testament would really amplify them. But you look at those and you find that those are, wow, those were things that looked like, wow, this pillar of the faith, and in all regards, yes, he was, mm -hmm. that he had as, as a special relationship and blessing from God that we can also participate in. That those things are not just exclusive for this pillar, but that we can also be chosen, redeemed, and blessed. And here's the challenge. Just as Abraham lived in believing in the one true God, a monotheist, among polytheists, among many ways to God, many paths to heaven, so should we. That's our calling too. We need to be living as one true God among people that would say all around us, oh, but there's many ways to heaven. If you want another verse on that, it's John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not many paths. There's one path. <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me. That's one path. All right. Moving on there. Talking about blessed and talking about faith, having that one true faith among polytheists, many faiths, um, that one true faith, Hebrews 11 is our passage for faith. And this is probably not new material to those of you that grew up in the church. Hebrews 11 is the chapter on faith. And here looking at Hebrews 11, Abraham gets a lot of text. All right, he gets a lot of airtime over here in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 8, and we're going to start in verse 8. I'll just say we're going to start there because we're going to move through several of these verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10, somebody mind reading that one. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he migrated without any idea where he was going. By faith he lived in the land of promise as in a foreign country, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were uh, joint heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking for the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So in reading those three verses, what do we see? Here's what we see. We see Abraham was called by God. Abraham was given promises. And Abraham died without seeing the fulfillment of all the promises that were given him. Right? Does that mean God failed? Absolutely not. God's timetable is a lot bigger than our timetable. 
God gave him promises that he died waiting in hope and in expectation, in faith of seeing them fulfilled. He believed in God, he followed God, and then he lived his life. And you remember, we looked at his report card. He had some ups and downs as he was going through, right? But ultimately, the overall grand scheme of things, he's a man of faith. He ends up dying a man of faith and not having realized all the promises. We're in the same boat, folks. We have been given promises of God. And we are going to die without seeing some of those fulfilled because some of the fulfillments are for later. They're not for this life. They're for the life after this. And what is it talking about? Tents and cities. What is that all about? You live in a tent when you haven't put down roots. You live in a tent when you're still wandering. You live in a tent when you're recognizing where I'm at right now is not where I'm going to eventually be. You live in a tent when you recognize there's another place whose city, whose foundation is of the Lord, right? He's living as a wanderer, moving around from place to place, recognizing this life is not what I'm ultimately called to. Just as we move through this life, recognizing it's not what we're ultimately called to, that there's another destination that we have that's still yet future. The fulfillment's going to be after this life, and what's going to happen, that's going to be a place of permanence. A city is a place of permanence. A tent is a place of movement. A tent is temporary. Moving on from that verse, jump down to verse 13. Verse 13 kind of sums up all the people that were mentioned, including Abraham, by saying, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. And then verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. If we identify with this crowd and identify in the way of living and in the way of believing, in the way of faith, when we identify with these pillars of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we identify with their same lot as we find here in these verses here, that we go through this life recognizing, you know what, this life is just a testing ground, but ultimately there's a permanence that I'm looking forward to that's outside this life. And we come to a place where if we live in that way, what happens? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called your God. That God is not ashamed to be called your God and he has prepared a city for you. And he has prepared a city for me. When we are living in the faith of Abraham, identifying ourselves with him through faith, we have God saying he's not ashamed to be identified with us. That God has prepared a place for us. I want to close with this. Go to James. James has another thing that we we touched on just for a few moments here. James is right after Hebrews, but it's so small, you might end up missing it if you turn too fast. (laughs) James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. James ends up using, like I said, that same passage that was used so many times. He's going to end up quoting from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, while we read through these two verses. James says here in James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Verse 23 now. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You've got lots of people. You go down to Huntington Beach, down to the pier, you you interview somebody. Hey, you know, what's your relationship with God? Oh, God's my friend. He's my buddy. (laughs) Really? Is he? Because what I'm looking at here, you can be called a friend of God. But what does it require? It requires that you live like Abraham lived. 
It requires faith showing itself through the way that you live. All right? So if we live with this last challenge then, if we live with the faith that Abraham had, and it shows in the way that we're living that we are people of faith, then we are living in such a way that we can call God our friend. God would call us his friend. Let's go ahead and close the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example that we have. This man, Abraham, who just up and dies at the middle of this chapter, and it moves on without him. Lord, we had to take time to actually just look at his life again. Look at the examples and the models that were provided for us. Look at the challenges that we can extract from this information that we see. Help us, Lord, to be changed. Help us to be people that are authentic. People that don't just say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because of who I'm related to. I come from people that are, you know, my family is Christians. No, that's that's not it. Help us to realize, Lord, that we need to be individually people of faith. We need to be identified with you, not in some outward bodily um, surgical procedure, but, Lord, that our hearts have been cut, that the nastiness and the ugliness of our heart has been cut away. And, Lord, that we can identify in being people of faith. Help us to be like Abraham who hears from you and moves. We pray that we would be moved by hearing from you, that we would be willing to obey when we're called out from the place that you intend to take us out of to a place that you intend to take us to. And help us to live treading lightly on this earth, recognizing that the ultimate fulfillment of the promises are yet future after this life. Thank you, Lord. Even in these early passages, we have a glimpse of the teachings of an afterlife. After we die, it's not annihilation. It's not we cease to exist anymore. But after we die, there's substance. And it's of greater substance than we have here, which is just shadows. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.